So you will have noticed our theme today is motherhood, the fairy tale. And some of you might be wondering, how much of motherhood really is a fairy tale? Well, we're going to talk about that a bit today. So once upon a time, happily ever after. These are the opening and closing statements of every fairy tale. And we were raised on such stories. And I don't know about you, but I grew up kind of having a little bit of a fairy tale expectation for my life. It started like this. Once upon a time, I grew up in a happy, laughing home, sitting at the dinner table together every night, having wonderful family holidays together, and we lived happily ever after. <laughs> Reality. It wasn't quite that easy. There were difficulties in our household, and our parents got divorced when we were young. Probably not how I would have written it. Next chapter. I grow up and meet my Prince Charming, who of course my parents loved. He would take me on dates to fancy restaurants and every day would be pure joy together. Reality. I did actually grow up and meet my Prince Charming, it's just that my parents didn't quite recognise that that's what he was. Shaved head, black clothes with lots of holes in them, bit of an angry disposition, possibly not who they would have chosen at the time. Uh, and our first date actually involved, how do I put this nicely? It's too late, he's saying, yeah. It was a police car chase <laughs> while I was in the car. And he dropped me off home while he carried on running from the police. It's the truth. You couldn't write these things. And you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Next chapter. We would have a super romantic engagement where he would propose to me at a bonfire by the river where we first met and we would marry and have a fairy tale wedding. Reality. The proposal wasn't quite as romantic as possibly I would have planned it if I was planning my own engagement. It consisted of me sitting at his parents' house while his mother was in the kitchen and Carl came racing home and he got down on one knee immediately while I was sitting in the lounge on the couch and he proposed to me with his mother standing right there. <laughs> of course I said yes, and I was wondering why I was in such a hurry. He was actually trying to get back for the second half of the Warriors game because they were winning. <laughs> yeah. He, did, he has made up for it since, I just want to put that out there. You know, he did, he did grow up and, and started to get some, a romantic bone in his body at some point. <coughs> Next chapter. We would conceive in a couple of years and have children that would just be such a blessing to us. But the reality was that we were told there was a 10% chance of us ever being able to have a child. And it took seven years and a lot of disappointing times. But we did get our miracles in the end. Because our first child was a miracle baby, I assumed any miracle given from God was, of course, going to be perfect. It was going to sleep through the night from birth. Feeding was going to be the most beautiful and bonding experience on earth. And I was going to be the perfect mother and know exactly what to do. And I would have the most well-behaved children in all the land. I don't even have to tell you about the reality because you just know that <laughs> it's just a joke. And also there are some of my kids' teachers in this room today, so I can't even embellish the truth about their behaviour. And we would all live happily ever after. That was the story I thought. But you know what? Much of my life wasn't the stuff 
of fairy tales. But looking back, I wouldn't change a thing because of what God did in and through me through it all. As I prepared for this, I wonder how many of us live trying to attain the happily ever after here on earth, because that truly is a fairy tale. We are promised that in this world, we will have suffering and pain, grief and trials, temptation, sin, doubt, sickness, yet we still get surprised when life doesn't go the way we planned it, when the happily ever after starts looking like miserable ever after, when instead of the happy loving family, we face <coughs> excuse me, abuse, neglect, brokenness, when instead of Prince Charming, we have Prince No One. When instead of the beautiful cherub-faced children, we're faced with infertility or miscarriages or remaining single. So you know what? In times like that, you've got to look for inspiration and wisdom. So I look two places. The Bible, good option. And fairy tales, why not? Let's start with the fairy tale so I can redeem myself with the word of God. Who would actually want a fairy tale family when you think of some of the most popular fairy tales we were raised on? Bambi. The mum gets killed off pretty early there, traumatising generations of children around the world. Snow White. She is born, her mother dies, and her stepmother tries to kill her out of arrogance and pride. And then I looked up to see exactly how some of these fairy tales start with Once Upon a Time. Listen to these. Cinderella. Once upon a time, there lived an unhappy young girl. Unhappy she was, for her mother was dead. Her Seriously, this is how it's written. Her father had married another woman, a widow with two daughters, and her stepmother didn't like her one little bit. It's encouraging, isn't it? Here's how Hansel and Gretel begins. Once upon a time, a very poor woodcutter lived in a tiny cottage in the forest with his two children, Hansel and Gretel. His second wife, I don't know what happened to the first, often ill-treated the children and was forever nagging the woodcutter, there is not enough food in the house for us all. There are too many mouths to feed. We must get rid of the two brats, she declared. And she kept on trying to persuade her husband to abandon his children in the forest, which he did. And Rapunzel, once upon a time there lived a wife who had long wished for a child, but in vain. Sleeping Beauty, a long time ago there were a king and queen who said every day, ah, if only we had a child, but they never had one. It's a recurring theme, isn't there? Rumpelstiltskin. Once upon a time, there was a miller who was poor, but who had a beautiful daughter. Now it happened that he had to go and speak to the king, and in order to make himself appear important, he said to him, I have a daughter who can spin straw into gold. And then we have our first case of fairy tale human trafficking, a daughter sold into slavery by her own father. So that stuff about wanting a fairy tale life doesn't seem so appealing now, does it? I really hadn't realised how many fairy tales are based on motherless families. So I thought I'd read some of the stories featuring mothers in the Bible because surely the Bible will have stories of loving and God-honouring marriages, healthy parenting and happy families. Surely. Let's start with the very first family in the Bible. You would think that they would have learned from their mistakes, Adam and Eve, taking the apple from the tree. You would think that from that point on, then they're going to make all the right choices and bring up their children to be perfect. Well, let's start Genesis 2. The very first line is encouraging. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Well, that seemed far too easy, but try and celebrate her fertility. It's not her fault. 
The story goes on to talk about how she later gave birth to another son, Abel, and the boys grew up and tended the land. You can kind of picture a, be a very happy family, right? But in the ultimate sibling fight over whose present was better, Cain murdered his brother Abel and then was driven from the land and his parents. So Eve, the first mother, was also the first mother to lose a child to death and to lose a child by separation, and she raised a murderer. Not such a fairy tale family, huh? Well, further on in Genesis, chapter 11, verse 30, we hear of Sarai. And verse 30 says, Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Now that's a hard enough journey for anyone. But her husband Abram, out of fear that the Egyptians would kill him because of Sarai's beauty, pretended she was his sister and took payment from Pharaoh for her to be taken into his palace. Well, you can imagine what. Human trafficking first mentioned in the Bible, I think, there. And God inflicted serious disease on the palace because of it. So they escaped together, and a few chapters on, Abram is having a real complaint to God about not having children. And the Lord gives him a promise. From verse 5, he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Yay! Happily ever after, right? Promise of God. But no. Sarai gets tired of waiting for God's promise. So she tells her husband to sleep with her slave, Hagar, so she can perhaps build a family through her. And it all goes terribly wrong, surprise, surprise, when in fact Hagar does get pregnant, but they all start hating each other for it. So then Hagar becomes a single mum and later is sent away to the desert to raise her son on her own. But eventually, though, through many years, God changes Sarai's name to Sarah, and at the ripe young age of 90, she bears a son named Isaac. Does that sound like a fairy tale to you, mums? Not me. Well, okay, then how about Ruth? Well, she was left childless and widowed at a young age, and then she lived with her mother-in-law. I mean, who in their right <laughs> mind would make a decision purposefully to live with their mother-in-law, what kind of crazy, okay, I live with my mother-in-law, I'm just saying, it actually works out really well. <laughs> Rachel and Leah, now, here's a messed up story, kind of like one you'd expect to see on Jeremy Kyle. <laughs> Seriously, you'll know what I mean when I tell you. Jacob falls in love with this girl, Rachel, and works for her father for seven years in order to have her hand in marriage. Seven years, guys. I mean, that is some serious commitment. But on the wedding night, the father swaps out Rachel for his eldest daughter, Leah. Now, the Bible describes Rachel and Leah not so kindly for Leah, actually. It says that she was weak-eyed, <laughs> whereas Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And oops, Jacob has now consummated marriage with Leah. But that's okay, the father says, because... If you can have the marriage week with Leah, who clearly wasn't going to have any other options, you can also have Rachel, which happened, and then he has two wives. See what I'm saying about Jeremy Kyle? Now, Leah, the weak-eyed one that Jacob doesn't love, over the years conceives and has six sons and a daughter, seven children. And over all those years, Rachel, the one whom Jacob loves, is infertile. Can you imagine the injustice that she would feel? So Rachel has a child through her servant girl, much like Sarai did, 
because she just didn't believe she would be able to have a child until she did. And then she had Joseph. And you'd think then it's happy family. So later on she gave birth again, which is a wonderful blessing. But she died in childbirth. And Mary, don't get me started on Mary. Can you imagine? Once upon a time, there was a lovely young lady betrothed to the love of her life. When she suddenly becomes pregnant, not to her fiancé, and has to explain that to everyone. Let alone that she is giving birth to Jesus, the Son of Man, the Saviour of the world. Happily ever after. We know how that turned out with Jesus' time on earth for a mother. You know, I look at all these stories and I wonder why are they recorded in the pages of the Bible for us all to read? I guess because God knew that we were going to face this kind of thing on earth. And all these stories where things did go wrong, it was when people did things that were outside, of the, will, outside the will of God, trying to make their fairy tale ending happen on their own. Yet when you trust in the will of God, and the way of God, even though it might not go your way every time, perhaps not in the timing you wanted, perhaps not even at all. We have to realize that God is always faithful and always has your future in his hands. The fairy tale of marriage and motherhood is just that, a fairy tale. Our culture is one of motherhood deferred due to later childbearing these days, Motherhood disrupted by divorce. Motherhood lost by infant child death, miscarriage. Motherhood unachieved due to infertility and undesired singleness. Of course, our culture also includes wonderful families with strong marriages and happy children. The point is that there is not a one-size-fits-all journey of motherhood or womanhood. And we hurt each other by holding one fairy tale ideal over another's circumstances. So let's be gentle with each other this Mother's Day. Let's celebrate with the women who have happy families. Let's remember the women, men, girls and boys who are hurt by their mothers. Let's remember the mothers who have lost their children and children who have lost their mothers. Let's remember the women who long to be wives and mothers. Let's come together and worship God alone the author of our lives. Let's not worship idealized images of ourselves or our mothers. I think sometimes we can get so lost in the story of our lives and feel that we are being thrown from page to page and just when one chapter finishes, we start a new one. Then there's a plot twist just when you think you've got it all figured out. Why not throw in an antagonist every five minutes just to make it interesting? And what kind of story would it be if the person you trusted the most didn't betray you, the person you loved didn't die, and the thing you wanted the most you couldn't have. Man, it's exhausting living the story of life. We can get so lost in the pages that we forget about the author. We forget that what feels out of control to us is in the palm of his hand, that our days are written in his book of life, that Jesus himself also lived out a story on earth filled with all those things I just mentioned. When we invite Jesus into the pages of our story, into our parenting, into our marriage, our relationships, our mess and brokenness, it's kind of like when the hero enters the story, the knight in shining, shining armor. If you're not a reader, imagine a movie. 
You suddenly feel buoyed with hope, even when the immediate circumstances haven't changed yet. Suddenly, you know that what seemed undefeatable beforehand now has lost the fight before it's even begun. Peace that surpasses understanding. Joy despite the difficulties. Love that overcomes tiredness and frustration can now be yours because the Saviour just entered the story with, it's all going to be okay, I know how the story turns out. You know, I've always wanted to be a writer. That was my dream growing up. I grew up loving reading. I devoured books. I wrote poems and short stories. I took creative writing at school and even night classes. I studied journalism and I was editor of our school newspaper for a while. I loved creative writing. Just words flowing out of you, painting a picture, telling a story. But I also did journalism because my dad was a journalist. And I figured that would actually get me an income, whereas the other possibly wouldn't. But here's what I discovered about journalism. You often had to write stories that you were told to write. You often had to talk to people that didn't want to be talked to. You had to write what other people wanted to hear. The truth wasn't always the most important thing. You had to write to an unrelenting deadline. And after all that work, somebody else would take your story, edit it, and what was published wasn't really what you had crafted. Sometimes you couldn't even recognize it as your own work. This was the advice that my father gave me when I was considering a career in journalism. You know what, I think some of our stories end up like that. Even our chapter on parenting. You do what you're told to do, taking everyone else's advice, and boy, do they have plenty. You talk a lot, but no one seems to want to listen or answer you. You put up all the Instagram photos of your happy kids with the healthy food and the clean and fashionable clothes because that's what you want people to see. The truth isn't the most important thing. You're constantly working to several deadlines. Got to get this done before. He's got to have his nap by this time. Five minutes left before the in-laws come over and the house is a mess. If you're not home by midnight, you're in trouble. Deadlines everywhere. It can feel like someone took your story, your fairy tale, and hacked away at it, leaving it unrecognisable, leaving, leaving you wondering who you are and what day it is. When all along, I think God intended our story not to be journalism, but to be creative writing, an outpouring of love on the page from the start of creation to the end of time, poetry written with beauty and flow, woven together by the author, where even pain and suffering gets beautifully healed and transformed, and the glory of God reflects in it all, where the subject allows the author to be the author and doesn't try and finish the story themselves. So I come back to this thought that we live between the once upon a time and the happily ever after. We're about smack bang in the middle of it right now. The biblical once upon a time, the very first sentence of the Bible is Genesis 1.1. It reads this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But there's also a once upon a time that is personal for you, and you'll find it in Psalm 139 verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Or in fairy tale language, once upon a time, a father created his child, that's you. He wove you together with love and intent. Let's read the rest of that psalm through to verse 18. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. What an incredibly beautiful and meaningful once upon a time to our lives. We were created carefully and with love. We were planned and purposed. And our creator not only thinks of us all the time, but is with us every day. So if that's once upon a time, what about happily ever after? Well, of course, we need to turn to the end of the book to get to that. So let's go to Revelation 21, where it talks of heaven and what that will be like. From verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with him and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children, and they will live happily ever after the end. I added that a little bit, but that is an amazing happily ever after that truly is going to exist. It's not the thing of fairy tales, although the alternative definitely is the thing of nightmares. For those that follow Jesus, our happily ever after results in eternally praising and worshipping God in a heaven with no suffering or pain or tears, forever provided for, forever satisfied. What an incredible future we have to look forward to. So if in this life we are promised suffering, pain, brokenness, and you sure read of that from the very beginning of the Bible to the end. Why do we keep trying to find happily ever after in this life? The pursuit of happiness, it has been called, can keep us from truly finding joy. Joy that has us living in complete trust of God despite our sufferings. Peace that surpasses all understanding that can only come from heaven. Hope in our salvation our Savior that has purchased our freedom and love, pure love from God our Father that allows us to rest in who he has created us to be. And mums, our pursuit of perfection in our children, our husband, our own abilities to be the perfect mum, it's never going to happen because we are all flawed human beings living in a very flawed world. And we can see the beauty in that if we look at it. The beauty of a, a God that is day by day restoring and strengthening us. And that the pursuit of God over the pursuit of happiness gives us everything we need. Can I get the team to come up and join me? Happily ever after in this world is a myth. But it's absolutely a promise for us when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we choose to make him Lord of our everyday lives. This message is for mothers, absolutely, an encouragement to try and let go of attaining the Pinterest perfect life and instead embrace the frailties 
and rawness and sometimes ugliness of humanity, ours and our children's. But it's for all of us here today who feel that they've been reaching for an unattainable goal of pure happiness in this life. This is not a message of give up and settle for less. No, it's look up and see the more. If we could live in the once upon a time, the security and identity of how God created us to be his child, then we can endure anything. And we will live with the hope and promise of the happily ever after of eternity. We are not good with pain, with mess, with the unusual or the awkward, or the things that don't fit into our box of how life should be. But the author of our story is, because he is also the healer, the restorer, the redeemer, and the designer. And his glory is made known through our stories. The end.